Welcome to the Life Academy Podcast. Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Doug Pratt speaking to you from the Life Academy of First Church, offering you my thoughts on a Christian perspective on the Ukraine-Russia war. These are my own ideas, and I present them to you for reflection and consideration. I recognize that I do not have the Christian perspective on this or any contemporary issue, but I invite you to join with me in seeking to think Christianly and biblically about the world in which we live. The 21st century world turned a corner on February 24th, 2022, as it witnessed the start of the first major land war in Europe in over 75 years. New generations of Europeans and Americans and others around the world were reintroduced to the horror and tragedy of war, and also confronted by fears that have been dormant for over 30 years since the end of the Cold War about the dangers of major power nuclear conflict, however unlikely. The reaction of support from most Western countries to Ukraine, the underdog and non-aggressor in this war, proved to be unexpectedly swift and robust especially in comparison to the muted world response to Russia's previous aggression eight years earlier when it seized the Crimea and fostered a proxy war in eastern Ukraine. The initial Russian battle plan apparently was to capture the capital of Kiev and accomplish a quick capitulation and regime change at a minimal cost. American's top military leader, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, publicly predicted in January that Ukraine's total collapse would occur in one week. So much for the experts. The Russian advance quickly stalled, the Ukrainian military proved more competent and the Russian military less competent, the Ukrainians proved to be resilient, far more than expected, and Western military aid began to pour into the country. As of this moment, the battered Russians have refocused their efforts on eastern Ukraine and are slowly bludgeoning their way forward, while the flow of weapons from NATO to the embattled Ukrainians has apparently slowed. While we can't foresee all that will happen in the months to come, I am as confident as the U.S. general was in making my prediction, and hopefully I will be at least a bit more accurate than he was. I am nearly certain that this will prove to be a long war, longer than most observers have predicted. There have been just a few notable exceptions in the past century of wars that ended quickly, including Israel's six-day war in the Middle East, the British reconquest of the Falkland Islands, and the Operation Desert Storm liberation of Kuwait by the Americans and their allies. But almost every other war has been drawn out and staggeringly bloody and costly, from World War I and II, to Korea and Vietnam, to the Second Iraq War and Afghanistan, with Russia's incursion into Afghanistan in the 1980s also terribly draining. Our nation and many others have not often demonstrated the perseverance and determination to prevail in a long war. The exhaustion of resources, of weapons and manpower, and even more critically, the exhaustion of will and national morale have often caused a war to end in defeat, like the recent hasty and botched withdrawal of Americans from Afghanistan. Journalists and commentators have been publicly speculating for months about the motivations for Vladimir Putin, the dictator who apparently single-handedly drove the world to this place. 
Some attribute it to his extreme ego and control needs and to his amoral approach that was ingrained during his KGB service. Some attribute the invasion of Ukraine to his often stated longing for a return to the glory days of the Soviet Union, as he recalls them. Some speculate that he is critically ill with cancer or another fatal condition, and that he wants to go out with a fearsome reputation as conqueror before he dies. Some portray the invasion as motivated by an attempt to block Ukraine from joining NATO or by fear of having a truly free and democratic country on Russia's doorstep. Maybe several of these and other factors have fed the egomaniacal obsession of a man who is eerily reminiscent of the final year's madness of Adolf Hitler. As much as the world speculates about the cause of the invasion, even greater is the speculation about what the end game might be. There are multiple possible outcomes that have been suggested spanning the spectrum from one extreme to another. Some forecast that Ukraine, bolstered by Western support, will defeat the Russians and push them back, or even drive them all the way out of their territory. Others predict the opposite, that the weight of Russia's advantage in population and firepower will eventually conquer all of Ukraine. Even more scenarios. Imagine a negotiated settlement, with perhaps Ukraine surrendering part of its land in return for a ceasefire, or an internal coup, assassination within Russia, that would presumably lead to a withdrawal. Still others see a Korea-like eventual ceasefire from exhaustion, with the lingering potential for renewed conflict at any time, just as the Korean peninsula is separated by an uncomfortable DMZ, but no permanent peace has resulted for seven decades. Any of these could happen, or some other possibility we can't foresee. Whatever the future events might be, the last four months have already resulted in terrible consequences. Thousands, perhaps eventually hundreds of thousands, of lives of soldiers and civilians have been snuffed out. Millions of people have evacuated their homes and fled the country, overloading the neighboring countries to the bursting point. Billions of dollars worth of property, vehicles, and infrastructure have been ruined. Many refugees from Ukraine will likely never return to it. Further consequences for Russia from their aggressive invasion include long-term severe economic stress, high numbers of military casualties, the stifling of the last vestiges of free speech and political liberty, isolation from the broader world community, namely in travel and business and in culture, and an alienation from Ukrainians that is likely to cause a bitterness and hatred lasting for generations. The long-term consequences for the invaded country may be more mixed. On the positive side of the ledger, a new national identity and unity has emerged from the bomb craters. Ukraine has been struggling for 30 years since the end of the Soviet Union with leftover corruption from its communist past and political polarization, but those have largely dissolved as the people rally around their unexpected leader. The rebuilding of their country's infrastructure and economy, however, will certainly take a very long time once the fighting stops and will probably be impossible without a Marshall Plan-like foreign investment. The ripple effects of this very huge rock being dropped into the world's pond have spread around the globe. 
NATO has, at least initially, discovered a renewed purpose and unity. It will probably be enhanced by Finland and Sweden finally moving off the neutrality fence and by its member nations investing more in rearmament. Europe is moving as fast as it can towards developing energy independence from Russia, having ignored the warnings of Donald Trump and others to their regret. All of the developed world, including the U.S., are feeling the inflationary rippling from the war, although other factors, including premature green policies and massive government spending, have been the primary contributors, I believe, of the inflation that we're dealing with now. The developing world is facing critical food shortages due to the inability of Ukraine and Russia to export grain, and inflation and malnutrition or even starvation may add to the tally of victims on Vladimir Putin's ledger. Remembering Dickens's classic novella, A Christmas Carol, when Jacob Marley's ghost appears to Scrooge, dragging many heavy iron chains representing his earthly sins, we can imagine what Putin's chains will be like in the afterlife. How many sins of murder and misery is he currently forging link by link? Coming on the heels of a nearly two-year, highly disruptive global pandemic, the Ukraine war and its consequences have delivered a further blow to the modern world's self-confidence and sense of self-sufficiency. Lest we think we have nature and human history under control, the 2020s have been a bracing and humbling reminder of how little we know and can manage. Let's think for our final few minutes about how Christians are to understand the state of the modern world. Through the centuries, biblical scholars and theologians have debated and discussed the issue of war, which by definition means the taking of human life. The sixth commandment is, in its starkest form, thou shalt not kill. Some Christians take the extreme pacifist position, believing that their faith requires that they never take up arms against another person, even in self-defense. Others conclude that, in an imperfect and sin-stained world, there are times when it is morally just to use deadly force against another. This viewpoint requires that a person or country not be the aggressor, but rather act in self-defense or the defense of innocent people. It is this justification that allows Christian men and women to serve as, for example, law enforcement officers, equipped with the means and the legal right to use force to defend others. And it is the same justification that has led most Western Christians today to conclude that Ukraine's current war is just and Russia's is unjust. While many people of a secular or non-Christian worldview prefer to be naively optimistic about the perfectibility and the goodness of human nature, the Bible makes it clear that we men and women are a mixture of both noble and ignoble impulses. While we are able to choose the right and good, we are also susceptible to sin and evil and temptation. While no human is all good or all bad, there are all good and all bad forces at work in the universe. Satan, the evil power, is bent on inflicting violence and pain and corruption against humans. He hates our race precisely because God, his ultimate enemy, loves us 
and has created us to be special and precious in his image. Lest we think that there is no ultimate moral evil or good in the world, we simply have to consider the actions of Putin and his forces, inflicting such violence and misery on innocent and undeserving victims to see that evil does indeed exist, and that evil ultimately springs not from a corrupt human heart, but from a relentless demonic power using humans as its minions. In the face of evil, humans are also capable of great courage and good deeds. The valor of President Zelensky and his undermanned and under-equipped forces has inspired the world. The compassionate response of so many people to the humanitarian crisis, opening homes, providing food, volunteering to help in countless ways, has been inspiring. And we hope and pray that if the war drags on a very long time, the people of Europe and America will not come to a compassion fatigue point and stop caring and helping. Watching what is happening in a nation of 180 million people called Russia, which was once the nucleus of the Soviet empire that was our great nemesis in the 20th century Cold War, has been a reminder to us of the toxic impact of the psychology of totalitarian dictators and the people they rule. I've already attempted a little armchair speculation about what might be in the psyche of the dictator Putin, but why do his people, by a large majority, if reports from inside that country are accurate, support the invasion and slaughter of their neighbors, the Ukrainians? The same syndrome was witnessed in Nazi Germany in the late 1930s and early 1940s, as uh, Allied bombers then began to turn their cities into rubble, and the Germans slowly began to realize what Hitler was doing to them, their Jewish neighbors, and the world. But until reality intervened, most Germans were supportive of their Fuhrer. I think for two reasons. First, because in a police state, anyone who dares to question their rulers is taking a great personal risk. Second, because modern police states can be highly effective for a time at deceit and propaganda. Until the truth begins to leak in from the outside, the Germans in the 20th century and the Russians in the 21st are the victims of lie upon lie as Hitler's propaganda minister called it, the big lie. If you tell it long enough and forcefully enough, people will believe it in spite of reason and evidence. As I observe history unfolding in these days, I am continually reminded of the great mystery of the interplay of human will and God's providence. I have no doubt that God has the power to intervene in human affairs whenever and however he chooses. And I have no doubt that the record of the Bible confirms God's interventions to bring about the offer of salvation through Christ to the entire world. And I have no doubt that the United States of America would not exist without so many remarkable events that even our founding fathers concluded were sure signs of God's providential acts. And yet there are now, and have been throughout history, many times when God has chosen not to intervene, allowing human beings to make their choices and then experience the consequences. I simply cannot know the mind of God. I pray that he will choose to work in some way in our current desperate situations, but in the short term, I cannot be certain of what will happen. 
I do, however, feel a solid confidence that when it is God's time, the evil that so plagues mankind will ultimately be ended, the great adversary will be defeated, and God's perfect rule will come. Some people, feeling buffeted by the chaotic events of our world, are speculating that things are approaching an end. As prophesied in the book of Revelation, the last book of our Bible, that is possible, but I am not able to confidently predict that. Certainly other generations and other times and places felt that the end was near, and yet their expectations proved to be premature. We believers watch, and we pray, and we ask God to show us the good he wants us to do in our current situation, and we do not lose heart. If this world was all there is, and all our hopes for happiness and fulfillment and peace and meaning were to be found only on troubled and war-torn planet Earth, we would be prone to despair. But as 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For everything we see is temporary, but what we cannot see is eternal. This is Pastor Doug Pratt for The Life Academy. Thank you for joining us for this Life Academy episode. We encourage you to subscribe. And if you enjoy our podcast, please share it with your friends and family.